I was praying all week about what I was supposed to talk about. And by Thursday I had nothing, so my prayers were sort of entering the whining stage. Please tell me what I'm going to talk about. And then Friday morning, as I was praying, I got one word. And I sort of figured that God only trusted me with one word and didn't want to give it to me too early lest I forget. But the word I got was hope. That was it. Now, the last several weeks during this stuff that we're going through, we've been talking about principles of war, warfare, how do you prevail against stuff, and I figured this is probably a good time to sort of back off from all of the warfare stuff and talk about hope. One of the things that is going on as we are living right now is there is sort of a concerted effort to get everybody to despair. As you're looking at all the things that are going on, it's very clear that the people of God and God's church are under attack. You notice that you can do a demonstration, but you can't go to church. Just all sorts of stuff where it's an oppressive environment. That's the best way to describe it. Everything seems to be laying down on us and oppressing us and so forth. And it's very easy to get into despair. People are really good at despair, by the way. Stuff that goes badly happens often enough that we get lots of practice. So despair is easy. Maintaining hope is somewhat more difficult. So anyway, once I got this word, and I figured, okay, I'm supposed to talk about hope. You've all had the experience where you learn a new word, and then all of a sudden you see that new word everywhere. Well, I started seeing things about hope everywhere once I got the word. I've got several aggregators on the internet that go out and find stuff and give it to me so I don't have to go paw through stuff. And one of them is a Twitter aggregator, and I have no idea who this person is. I think it's a woman based on the little avatar that they have, and her handle is keep calm and drawl. So I'm assuming she's from the South. Okay, that's all I know about this one. I know nothing else about it, but she wrote something that I thought was just, wow. She said, I've said this before, but one of the greatest benefits of my faith in this insane modern world is the deep level on which I know that I am seen and I am known. The short circuits, that panicky affirmation seeking that I even exist as a human being that I see so much these days. And if you look at a lot of the stuff that's going on with the demonstrations and stuff like that, these are people who are seeking affirmation that they exist as human beings. They are seeking recognition. Look at social media. How much social media is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at my dinner tonight. Look at my vacation. Look at my cat. Look at me, look at me, look at me. In other words, what it is is seeking connection and affirmation. And this woman, I, I say I assume she's a woman, I don't know her, captured it beautifully. 
as she's looking at all the stuff that's going around, these are people who are looking for affirmation. These are people who are looking for hope. And they aren't finding it. And the more they look and the less they find it, the more desperate and angry they get. Now, one of the things that's often hard with people is differentiating between hope and faith. And to use my favorite phrase, you can tell they're different because they're spelled differently, right? Hope and faith are not the same thing. You're all familiar with the passage in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith and hope are in the same passage there. Faith is the mechanism that brings things to pass. Hope is the goal setter. In other words, the things that you hope for are the objects upon which you can set your faith. So for example, I hope for a new car. I actually don't, I'm quite happy with my cars, but let's say I hoped for a new car. That's my goal. And then I, by faith, start working, saving, doing all the stuff that I need to do to make that happen in the future. So the hope is the goal, the faith is the way that you get to the goal. Now, one of the things that we see over and over and over again in Scripture is the people of God need to be reminded of stuff. So as you read the pastoral letters, for example, we've just been going through 1 Peter, and God willing, we'll start 2 Peter on Tuesday. But one of the things that Peter says, because he's writing to Hebrews, he's writing to people who know the Scriptures, is he's not really telling them anything new. He's not really teaching them so much as he is reminding them of something they already knew by way of encouragement. Because they're scattered among the Gentiles, they're a minority among the Gentiles, they are furthermore Christians, which has sort of separated them from the synagogue, which is their ethnic roots, so they're double minorities. So what his letter is, is by way of encouragement, by way of giving them hope. And very much of the Bible is that way. Prophets, we were listening to prophets today, and you have all this dire stuff that's going to happen according to the prophets. You know, you're going to see armies arrayed around you, you're going to be sanded off, you're going to be sent to Babylon, all that kind of stuff. And it always ends with, but there's hope. Because at some point, God is going to reach out and he's going to remember his covenant and he's going to put his arms around you and he's going to draw you back. That's what the Isaiah passage was. Is you guys are going to be flat somewhere and all of a sudden, kings and queens are going to bring your children and you're going to say, where did those all come from? So the whole point of the Isaiah passage was hope. And so one of the things that I think we need right now as a body is hope. Now, let me go back to my war metaphor for just a minute. That famous prophet, Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte, might not have been a prophet, but he was a superb general and commander. We spent a whole semester at West Point studying Napoleon. He's that good. And he has a famous saying. In war, the moral is to the physical as 10 to 1. Which is to say, if you have two armies opposing each other, the army with the better morale is going to defeat a superior numerical force 
if that superior force has low morale. Examples of that all over the place. The Germans have lots of problems, but one of the problems they don't have is being good soldiers. And during World War II, the Russians were basically a slave army. And so what the Germans did when they went east is they would capture vast Russian formations with relatively small forces. And then they screwed it up. So instead of welcoming these people and saying, all right, we're going to get rid of the communists and put you back, they treated them brutally and harshly, and finally even the slaves of the Soviet Union rose up and became effective. But the point is, their morale in the, early in the war was much higher than the Russians. And so they were able to prevail with smaller forces. We're a small group. And so what I'm talking to you about today is morale, hope, the ability to see that you're doing something that has purpose both eternally and locally. Now one of the problems with hope, anybody ever heard the term pie in the sky? It's actually from a song in 1910. And again, this is one of those things that just flowed across my feed, but, but there it was. It was a song about laborers. And you had laborers in the coal fields, in this case, who were grimy and dirty and hungry, and these guys were preaching to them. And they said, yeah, 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 but how about giving us something to eat? All this encouragement you're giving us is really great, but we really would like something to eat. And so the song became, when you get to heaven, there'll be pie. And hence the term pie in the sky, which is to say, yeah, once you go to heaven, you'll be able to eat all you want, but that doesn't help you here. Hence the term. So one of the problems with hope, especially in the Christian and Messianic community, is time horizon. And what happens is most of us are focused on the world to come. We're going to be with the Lord. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be pie in the sky. And that's all true. But the problem with it, it doesn't help you very much as you are starving right now. So what I want to talk about is hope right now as opposed to hope eternally. And again, don't get me wrong, I am not saying anything against the eternal side of hope. It is true, it is important. But as you are engaged in your daily life and the world has got this heavy, gray, wet blanket laying over the top of you and it is trying to depress you and trying to make you upset, the focus of eternity, certainly it's there, but it doesn't do a lot for your morale right now. So this idea of hope is not just in the world to come, it's also today. And let me give you a couple of scriptures. Now, remember I started off talking about First Peter. And First Peter is writing a letter to people who are oppressed. They are a double minority. They're not in the synagogue anymore, and they are furthermore 
ethnic Hebrews in a Gentile nation. And what he's writing is just to encourage them, to give them hope. That's the purpose of the letter. Let's go to Romans, and I'm in chapter 8, and starting in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Now that's eternal hope. That's long term. Let's read Romans 15 now. Same author, Paul, toward the end of the letter. Now he's talked in Romans 8 about the kind of hope that is eternal. Perfectly acceptable, proper to do. But in Romans 15 he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So the purpose of the scriptures is something that you've got in your hand, that when the wet blanket descends upon you and you start getting grumpy and saying, Why me, God? You can go to the scriptures and you can get encouragement. And it's not just intended to be encouragement for eternity, it's intended to be encouragement for now. It's to give you strength. It's to give you hope. It's to give you the ability to do the things that God has called you to do. Let's look at what's going on in the United States. You all gave me a very delightful book for my birthday a week or so ago by Sachs, Lord Sachs, Chief Rabbi of Great Britain. Thank you, by the way. It's a great book. I enjoy his writing. I'm about halfway through it. And he's talking about Western civilization. And he specifically talks about Great Britain in the United States, and he sort of goes interchangeably between examples of the two. And his thesis is, we have suffered a breakdown of our society where the operative word used to be we, and it is now I. So the focus has shifted from who we are as a community to who I am as an individual. And by the way, that goes back to the original Twitter thing that I started with, where you have people who all they have is I, and they are looking for their place in the world. They're looking for affirmation. And we are social beings. We are designed to be in a community. We are designed to get part of our identity as members of a community, in addition to children of God and other things. But all of us have validation and worth that we get as being members of the community, and that's healthy. That is not bad. So the fact, for example, that Diane, faithfully, every week, makes sure we've got paper plates, that's a great blessing. And it's a ministry, and it's something I certainly hope gives her satisfaction as she does it. Tom and Patricia go out and pray in front of abortion clinics. That's something that I hope gives them satisfaction and a sense of doing something that's worthwhile. The worst thing in the world is to sit around and have nothing meaningful to do, and having something meaningful to do involves other people. It just does. 
one of the things that happens when men retire is they very often sit around and and there's only so many times you can mow the lawn and they very often die very quickly because they don't have anything to do. We're designed to be in community. We're designed to do stuff. And what Sachs is saying in his book is that's breaking down. And it's combined with a loss of religious belief. One of the things that you may have noticed if you're paying attention, these rioters in Portland, one of the things they've started doing now is burning Bibles. They have no roots. And they are rejecting the traditional roots of Western culture. One of the things we're also seeing right now, Western-wide, is economic loss. With all this shutdown and stuff, the economy is just going flat. Now, there's stuff that's going on to keep the stock market going and all that kind of stuff, but that's artificial. One of the things I follow is gold. Gold, for the first time in history, just shot above $2,000 an ounce. That's not good. Even though I own gold and I'm delighted to see it go up, it is not good. Because what that means is the dollar is collapsing. That's what that means. And yeah, it's nice if you own some gold and you can sort of take advantage of that, but that's not good. What I am seeing, this is me, this is Johnnyology, this is not thus saith anybody except me. What I am seeing right now is God's hand in the United States hitting the reset button. And what he's doing is he's destroying physical wealth. Remember one of the things that said in today's Deuteronomy passage that when you come into the land and you're blessed and you got grain and nobody's barren and your flocks and herds are going, take care because that's when things get spiritually dangerous. That's when you forget me. And that's what's happened to us. Now, the question that I have, and I don't know the answer to this, is this going to be a soft reset or a hard reset? A soft reset is where God reaches in and stirs you with a stick, but then restores and reestablishes. And that happens in Israel, by the way, in Israeli history. God reaches in and slaps them around. That's what Elijah did when he turned the rain off for three years. What God was doing is reaching in, slapping them around, getting their attention, and then giving them some more time. And that's what I'm hoping is going on, that we're going through a soft reset. And that's what I'm praying for, by the way. And if you buy what I just said, I would suggest that might be something you would pray for, is that we're going through a soft reset instead of a hard reset. Okay, now, let's do one other thing. Let's look at our leadership. I've said this before to some of you, but some of you haven't. Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump is a biblical figure. And by the way, that is not necessarily a compliment. I happen to like the guy, but understand. He's a biblical figure. And the figure that he is is Samson. Read Samson in the book of Judges, and you will see Mr. Trump. He's a big guy. He's got long hair. He's got a weakness for the ladies. He does not drink. He's a Nazarite. And he went in to clean out the Philistines. I read Judges and look at Samson 
to figure out what's going on now with this administration. And it's uncanny. He gets captured by the Philistines several times. And every time he gets captured by the Philistines, you know, his wife says, well, you need to tie him up this way, and you need to tie him up that way. And every time he breaks his bonds and slaughters a bunch of Philistines. But you remember the end of the story. Those of you who haven't read it, I'll remind you. At the end of the story, Samson gets captured by the Philistines. Remember when his wife, Delilah, snips his hair off? A condition of being a Nazarite is his hair has to grow long and he never touches the grape, which is alcohol. So at the end, he finally gets wheedled from him that the thing that is giving me my strength is my Nazarite vow, so she cuts his hair. And then he's again captured with the Philistines and he's taken into, I don't remember which town it was, one of the Philistine towns, is blinded and is made to turn a grain mill constantly. And during that time, his hair grows back. And the Philistines don't recognize what that means. So they're having a big feast. And they bring him in and chain him up between two pillars to sort of mock him and say, this is the judge of our enemies and so forth. And we've got him in our feast here and we're all having a big feast and we're going to mock this guy because we defeated him. Well, by that time, his hair has grown. So Samson stands there between these two pillars where he's chained and he goes, and he brings the whole thing down upon himself, killing all the Philistines and himself in that process. You all remember the story now. Well, look what's happening with, call it what you want, the establishment, the deep state, you know, any of those kinds of things, and look at how they are going after him in very much the same way that the Philistines went after Samson. They keep binding him, tying him up, and he keeps breaking the bonds. And one of the things that happens as a result of this is Israel is given relief from the Philistines for a period of time. That's what he does. Goes down and slaughters a bunch of them with an ox goad. So what he's doing is he is giving the Israelites relief from the oppression of the Philistines. But it doesn't last. And in the end, he dies taking the Philistines down with him. So as I look at Mr. Trump, I see Samson. And I very much regard Washington as a Philistine city. Do with that whatever you like. It seems to make sense to me. But what I am praying is that this is not the final time when he finally pulls the dining hall down around his shoulders and destroys everything. Although it may be, I don't know. What I am praying is this is one of those interim times when he beats back the Philistines and allows Israel to recover, allows Israel to come out from under oppression, allows Israel to turn back to God. That's my hope. And that's what I call, by the way, a soft reset. And by the way, Philistines never go away completely. You never get a complete victory over the Philistines. The little rascals are breeding in the corners. So there's always going to be Philistines. 
There's no such thing as a permanent victory short of when Yeshua comes back and does the permanent victory himself. And by the way, even after the thousand year reign, remember he turns Satan loose and Satan deceives the nations and they take a run at him again. And what he finally has to do is destroy the heaven and we have to get a new heaven and a new earth before there's a final victory. So as you're living here, there's not going to be any final victory. But there are periods of victory when you can live in peace for decades. That can happen. That happens with Israel over and over and over again. You get a victory and they live under a judge or under a righteous king and they live for decades in peace and harmony and prosperity. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a temporary victory over the Philistines to get this wet blanket off of us and to be able to talk to people and draw this nation back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is our heritage. And so what I'm talking to you about now is hope. Because if you don't have hope, you give up. And what is trying to be done to you now is to take away your hope. Just keep putting you down. Can't go to church. Can't go to work. I mean, this is the place where nobody smiles. Everybody's got a mask on. By the way, I'm not knocking you people who are wearing masks. But the point is, society-wide, nobody smiles. Or at least if they are, you can't see them. Those are all means of encouragement community and that's what's being destroyed so my hope is that you will have hope and perspective and you go out there and do those things that God has called you to do and we can get rid of these Philistines for a time and have space to rebuild (laughs) 